Welcome back to Recovering Church Girls. I'm your host, or I guess technically hostess, Tanya Adlita, and I have with me Sylvia Becker-Hill. Sylvia actually has her own podcast by the name of Women's Empowerment School. She also is an author, a business coach of the same name, all sorts of fun things that she brings to the table for our conversation. So without further ado, Sylvia, welcome. Thank you, my dear. I'm so delighted to be here today. And I am so excited to have you. And we were just kind of uh, reminiscing and before we started recording that we both accidentally sort of broke rules in the group <laughs> that we were in for uh, female podcasters. Um, but it's kind of fun to have the fellow rule breaker uh, in the midst here <laughs> and be able to play into that aspect of our personalities. And I don't know, I mean, certainly neither of us were, you know, intentional about it or, um, you know, malicious, goodness, I can't talk, malicious in any way. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I think there might be a trend here of that ever (laughs) so slightly stubborn and independent thing happening. Totally. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more when we talk about the idea of a woman's empowerment coach. For anyone who might not be familiar with that concept, give us a little backstory. What is that really all about and how have you come into this role? Because you've been doing it for 20 years now, which is pretty exciting. So again, congratulations on that. Thank you. Always the 1st of September is my business anniversary. And I started in 1997, even still being at university back in Germany. You hear my accent. I'm German. And um, for me, it's coming back really from my early childhood, experiencing my mother, who I love so deeply from early on. She was my hero. And I never experienced her being fully in her power. Mm. She was traumatized as a child from the second, during the Second World War. She was a refugee. And throughout her life, she has had some traumatizing experiences. And she exuded this kind of frustration of not mm. feeling free, of never being able to do what she wants to do. She worked the whole time I lived with with her uh, and she hated her job. So she she did it for a living and she was always uh, this split personality. Her essence was always joyful, playful. I could even see her in a little child. She was creative, but she always was this woman with this heavy lid on her head Mm. and and never in, in, in her power. And that hurt me because I'm so closely connected with them and a bit heavy for myself I had to work through that in my adult years taking on way too much responsibility of wanting to make my parents happy mm-hmm. hello da all this <laughs> parentization going on and all those codependency people out there I was one of them too mm-hmm. so for me it was a topic close to my heart and consciously already in my early 20s I started to do a lot of self-development workshops in the garden of my parents just uh, trying to figure out what is this whole equation woman and power how do we get Mm. this together and why doesn't it work in our society so after years of studying philosophy linguistic educational science and a ton of other things having two university degrees I had a friend of mine who already knew coaching which was at that time not known in Germany it came from the United States the word is English and he watched and observed me and he projected onto me Sylvia I believe you would be a great coach for people. Mm. And I had no clue what that is. <laughs> I did my own research 
and I got training and learned and uh, I was first a so-called executive coach and at that time in Germany top executives were mainly men so mm -hmm. I started first coaching mainly men and then historically in the late 90s early 2000s more and more women came into these upper ranks in German companies and so then there was budget for them to get a coach and what does it mean a coach at that time was the definition to support top professionals in their performance, in their role as leaders. So I also became a leadership trainer and change management agent inside the corporate world. 20 years now jumping forward, now I'm launching my own public available school, the Women's Empowerment School on the 1st of October, where I want to share what I learned in this over 20 years inside the corporate world. What do women need to step into their power, to ask for more money, to raise their voices, to speak their truths and create a career or a business. I also started working eight years ago with female entrepreneurs and business owners. So what do we women need to really dismantle patriarchy, not only externally by breaking through glass ceilings, but literally the glass ceilings between our own ears are mm -hmm. so much more stubborn. And neuroscience, uh, I'm studying since around 15 years now, neuroscience is the perfect framework to help women to literally rewire our own brains so that we can step out of the inner patriarchy with all these rules breaking mm -hmm. out breaking the rules right. we women we have to break the rules in order to be fully free empowered and liberated and happy and fulfilled we have to and we I can't live idea. by the rules Absolutely. And I love this idea of the inner patriarchy, because I think that so often, you know, it, it is not only modeled for us in so much of society and specifically within organized religion, but then we intend, I shouldn't say we intend to, we, we don't intend to. And yet internally, that becomes the dialogue that continues. It's still the narrative that's in our head. And we didn't choose to put it there. So, you know, having to then become more intentional about how we think and in the idea that you said rewiring i think that that's so relevant and it is literally what we are doing with the neuropathways in our brain and how we think and how we see the world around us so there really does become a bit of personal responsibility i think in totally. this self-awareness the self-discovery you know all of these different pieces so when totally. I say the words recovering church girls, what <laughs> does that mean for you? How do you, do you find yourself in that definition? What does that look like? I love that definition. And before I heard it from you, I never thought of myself in that way, but it totally makes sense. And I prepared today uh, to be here by getting out this beautiful, can you see this? Mm -hmm. The reflection is quite strong. It's, a, it's an olden, old golden cross, a Christian cross with Jesus on it. And it was from my grandmother. Hmm. And it was sent down through my mom to me. And uh, she gave it to me on my last visit uh, to Germany a few weeks oh, ago. Sweet. So I grew up in a household which had an interesting tension. My um, 
grandmother, my par the parents of my mother lived with us in the house when I was a baby, toddler, and growing up the first 10, 11 years till they died. And my grandmother was super, super Catholic. So that means in every room was a huge cross mm. with the dead Jesus on it. In Germany, we call it the Bavarian style, which may means it was wood and very expressive. You could see every muscle, every drop of blood, the face, the pain, the the crown of th of um, the what's the English oh, word thorns. The, the thorns mm -hmm. and everything like huge and and she was praying a lot and there were lots of rules for example she ne she she never showed her washed underwear drying in the garden like all the other washing went into the garden but for a catholic woman catholic girl that was not allowed to because neighbors might have seen her underwear <laughs> or uh, i i don't know i don't remember when how old i was when she told me that uh, when she made love with my grandfather her husband they always had the lights turned off etc so so there was this woman being very conservative being full in this praying everywhere are these crosses and i went to church with her as a little girl every sunday i went to church and then on the other hand my father who was uh, as a boy a refugee during the second world war mm -hmm. from north germany to bavaria and there he got physically uh, and verbally abused by a priest so he hated the church of the roman catholic church mm -hmm. And he was nearly every day saying, swearing negative things about them, especially when there were things in the news. So growing up as a girl who is very sensitive, very empathetic, and tr tries to find her way around about the meaning of life and adults and myself and identity, this was such a weird contrast mm -hmm. between these two people who I both loved dearly that I think the, if I would summarize my early childhood about religion in one word, it was confusion. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you had absolute polar opposites in the same home. Exactly. Exactly. And and the whole notion, I I believe that we children, we are by nature hardwired to be loyal to our parents, to be loyal to the adults, which we have as our first environment, because this is how our brain keeps us safe. Because when we are loyal and we are as children, we are so vulnerable. We are small. We don't have muscles. We can't protect us against a saber-toothed tiger. You know, it's, it's our brain is 25,000 years old, an outdated model. So we are loyal to whatever adults are expressing in our environment so trying to be loyal to my grandmother and to my father was like a complete split in my in my own brain sure. and then in germany when you start elementary school which i did at the age of six you have once a week i think it was once or twice a week one or t one hour twice a week so-called religious study and my school was a roman catholic study and i still went to church every sunday so for me at that time roman catholic religion was the number one religion i was not really strongly aware that there's anything else because in my family and neighbors everyone was roman catholic or somewhere protestant but that was the minority that there are so many other wonderful religions out there islamic or hinduism or judaism I had no access to that in my early childhood. And I perceived as a young child, the, I read the Bible. I loved it. 
and I read it several times. And for me, my early childhood love for the Bible stayed, and yet it was never a religious love. Mm. For me, it was a great storybook with a lot of confusing and um, opposing messages. And I studied later literature and linguistics, etc. So for me, the Bible is still a fascinating book to study about the memes and topics and images which are the foundation for our European culture and are so ingrained in all the literature coming after that. Mm -hmm. But for me, somehow it was never the book of God or something which was a holy religious thing. It was just a fascinating, beautiful book. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm offending. No, I'm not sorry if I'm offending anyone who said it's just it's just my proof. It's it's a great book. Right. I, and I studied it intensively. And yet to jump forward nowadays, it irritates me when people still in the year 2018 take it literal and live by it in a literal way which for me coming from a historic perspective and knowing about the interpretation and the history of the bible how it was mm. created how often it got changed by the pope for political reasons and intentions how it's like it's a political manifest you could mm. say of the vatican how you can take this literal in the year 2018 and create your own moral laws for your everyday life out of that that to say it mildly is irritating and to say it more strongly i think i found it dangerous i i truly find it dangerous and and especially here in the united states how some people misuse the bible mm -hmm. to manipulate brainwash and indoctrinate others Yep. Ooh, that's well, and that's that's really what this is all about. So first of all, no need to apologize um, because you've definitely found the the safe place for that conversation because that's really what we want to be able to talk about. We want to be able to get down to that kind of root level where things become systemic in not only the way that we're raised in in the church and in organized religion, but also then, you know, decades and centuries worth of how that then impacts our overall society. So even those that have not grown up in the church, they're still influenced by a lot of the rules, a lot of the thought process, and a lot of the patriarchy that still then transfers over into mainstream society. So yeah, no need to apologize here. <laughs> It's still an outdated habit I'm working on to erase oh, out of same. my brain. I mean, yep, I am the same apologizing, way I understand. That's the words, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I remember a few years ago, I took a tally, like at the end of the day, how often did I say I'm sorry throughout the mm. day, like bumping into people or shutting, interrupting someone. And I was shocked at that time how often it was. And I invite everyone listening to this, do that as an exercise. That's a great tool. Because we, we apologize way too often just for being ourselves and taking mm -hmm. up the space we take exactly. up. Exactly, our truth and Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And again, I think that, not not to say that religion is the uh, you know the the bearer or the impetus for all that is bad in the world. I certainly don't mean to imply that or to take that kind of a stance. And yet at the same time, I feel that the reason why we as women are so inclined to apologize so often and to not stand in our power and to not take up the space 
is again linked back to the foundation that women simply were not valued in the culture of whether it's Christianity or Roman Catholic or, you know, Protestant Catholic, like any, any really (laughs) of the organized religion, women aren't valued to the same level that men are. And the rules that then are created are those that are going to support the patriarchy and again, keep women in that submissive role. And even now, you know, in 2018, we have come quite a ways, and yet there's still quite a bit more work to do. Absolutely. And I personally believe that all organized religion, independent which one it is, all organized religion is deeply, deeply intertwined and the foundation of the patriarchal culture. And when I finished my um, university degrees in gender studies, I wrote a thesis, and I think I have it maybe here, right? <laughs> yeah, there it is. I studied philosophy as a major, and I wrote um, in German a master thesis about if uh, matriarchal cultures are real or not. Interesting. Because most people grow up in a patriarchal culture think this is the only way, the only map, the only blueprint we have for society. Mm-hmm. But what if before patriarchy, there was a different kind of culture. What if, if patriarchy is just one version, how we could live, and that there are multiple other versions, and that the matriarchy was already something which was there? So, in my Mathesides, sadly in German, I uh, I found that before the patriarchy, in matriarchal cultures where everything female was the divine, there was no organized religion. There was a spirituality. There was spirituality and women, because of our ability to give birth and being sensual beings and being connected through our body with nature, through our menstrual cycle with the moon and the cycles, we were the embodiment of the female divine goddess and that was the number one priority and moving now fast forward around 7,000 years ago it was a huge shift in climate the start of the desert belt around the world which shifted people into nomadic states from living in a paradisic state of abundance where food water everything was there in abundance and war was not existing that was the key insight i found in my archaeological research till seven thousand years ago when archaeologists find the bones of dead people they hardly never see any influence of uh, of force of of hmm. brutality of people being killed by one another and it starts with five it was seven thousand years ago so what changed what what caused war and so in theory and this is not scientifically uh, finally you know discussed and there's no conclusion there are different schools who say yes this is true what i'm going to say and others say sylvia this is complete baloney <laughs> so so there is a researcher out there his book is um it's a difficult book saharazia the 4,000 before Christ origins of child abuse, sex repression, warfare, and social violence in the deserts of the old world. Phenomenal wow. book. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Just, yeah. just even the subtitle is, that's yeah. a lot to take yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. So I summarize now, like, you know, something we could talk about a whole week in <laughs> 10 seconds. The, before the deserts were, were 
starting because of a slight shift in the angle of the earth, there was enough abundance of food and water so people didn't need to fight for resources. So nature was abundant. So everything holy was the mother figure, mm. the nurturing abundant mother. So when suddenly, and I, I, I make it really simple now, when suddenly resources to survive become scarce, muscle powers slash men are suddenly more valuable because they are the ones who fight now over the water and the food and protect the children and the women while they are wandering around, being forced to live a nomadic lifestyle because they have to follow the rain, they have to follow the food, etc. And male patriarchal religions they start at that time hmm. so also the, the pre-cries the precursors the precursors of all organized religion they start at that time where suddenly the switch from everything female nurturing abundant was number one falling down in the perception of status and now everything male the warrior being now the archetype and the mm. father being the number one archetype so for me to summarize a huge topic in a simple way organized religion is a foundation of patriarchy and the suppression of women and anything female mm. because there was a huge pain there was suddenly the mother earth who has always provided and served and nurtured suddenly was this dangerous thing with with deserts with not enough food with not enough water etc and when i say suddenly that was not from one day to the <laughs> other this was hundreds of years and yet what was perceived as a nurturing mother was suddenly not any longer there mm. and the warrior the the threatening punishing father was suddenly the archetype which gave safety to people and here we are here we have organized religion and here we have the new the new archetype of the god which is a nasty punishing mean mm -hmm. and beautiful loving protective father mm -hmm. so it's a switch from mother to father and the good news is when you watch uh, evolutionary historic trends we are at the end of the patriarchy we our generation i mean i'm i'm praying and live healthy and do my best to really, really experience it globally. We see the patriarchy crumbling now everywhere. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you you almost answered the question that I haven't even asked yet, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it and see if there's more depth that yeah. you can bring. What do you see happening now and in the coming years? You mentioned the idea of, you know, we will see it crumble. We we are in the midst of this transition now. Could you be more specific and, and kind of delve, delve into that a yes. bit more? Yes. And, uh, and for me, this, I say it all without judgment or drama. So I'm, I've tried to formulate it in a, a judgment-free, neutral way, what I'm going to say. Currently, we, we are faced and see certain growing problems. One is the overpopulation, which we seem not to really get our hands on. The population of, the, of this planet is growing at such a rate that there is a time we can't provide enough food for everyone. Mm -hmm. That's one huge topic. Another one, and I know in this country people think it's a hoax or a conspiracy, global warming is real. <laughs> I believe global warming is real. So there's global warming, which is the second major huge problem we face. And the third one is these huge 
um, streams of migration of people. Hmm. I mean, what we see currently with uh, the wars in, the, uh, in, in Syria, etc., th this is nothing what we will face in, in 10 to 15 years because of global warming. It's not just wars which make pe whole people move. It's the climate change which will create such a big move. So to find answers to these problems, to find answers to protect us literally from extinction, we need a different set of solutions. We we need a different form of creativity, which only a diverse culture, diverse brains, diverse t leadership teams can provide. Mm. Evolution is completely neutral. Evolution doesn't care if someone is a man or a woman. Evolution just brings forth what keeps us alive. And the old patriarchal mindset of a certain way of operating, thinking, feeling, believing, and everything male is great and everything female is to be kept tight in a little box, it simply doesn't work any longer. It doesn't provide the answers to the problems we are facing. Mm -hmm. So nature very naturally is, an, is following and answering all these challenges is moving us towards a completely new set of collaboration, of global networking, of diversity and inclusion which goes way beyond men and women way beyond gender equality it is about including different cultures different value systems mindsets religions etc we all have to become more inclusive if we want to or not i mean i know from my own, my own brain it's not easy it doesn't feel comfortable it's not shangri-la it's a huge challenge but it, it's literally i believe about long term about our survival and i'm not believing you know i'm not a doomsday talker that the end of the world is near and yet we have threatening huge complex problems which which need completely new solutions mm. and the good thing is also i'm a mother of uh, two boys 13 and 12 and i do a lot of also local networking here in the entrepreneurial field with much younger people. So the generation, I would say around 30 and younger, they already have such a different mm. mindset, especially when it comes to the whole bandwidth of sexuality. Mm -hmm. They are already out of the binary code of men and women. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have in my social circles so many um, lesbian, gays, uh, queer, pen, bisexual, LPDG, I mean, intersectional, I mean, the bandwidth of, mm -hmm. of uh, concepts, who we can be, who we can choose to be, how we choose to live is just growing, 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 growing. And I say that with the knowing living here in California, I am in the privileged situation being exposed to all that. There are other states in the United States where it's very different and also countries in the world where uh, people I just mentioned being my friends and running around freely here in society mm -hmm. <laughs> would be outcast or thrown into jail right. or, or even, even worse yeah absolutely yeah and, and I so appreciate you mentioning that on on two different notes one is I think that it drives home for me the importance of travel and the importance of intentionally putting yourself in a different culture from which you were raised. Because I think that when we stay myopic and we stay in this closed little circle, 
you know, we're, we're really eliminating any possibility of expanding our worldview and trying different thoughts. I mean, even down to the point of trying different foods. You know, I remember when my kids were young, uh, that was a very, very difficult thing. And, you know, there were what, like three dishes they would eat and we just rotated them all week long. But now, you know, as teenagers, they're more inclined because I forced them when they were younger to go and try new things on their own. And it's just, it really becomes those tiny little things that we do. I refer to them often as micro changes. It's the tiny little things that build up over time that then create a different paradigm for us to be able to have a better foundation, have a stronger, wider foundation, and a more interconnected network with diversity that is beyond just my brain, my own personal experience, you know, whatever the case might be. So I feel like travel totally. and exposure is just so huge. Yes, absolutely. And and as much, for example, I'm 51 now and I'm experiencing aging effects. So my body is not as flexible as it was 10 years or 20 years ago. So I have to deliberately do yoga, do stretching to, to get the mobility and flexibility in my joints I want to have to live the life I want. Mm. And as much as we need to stretch our body, I think we have to stretch our brain too. Mm -hmm. And looking into the camera, I see I have my brain here too. One second. <laughs> you have all the tools. For anyone who's listening on the podcast, um, you don't get to see all of these fun things, but she's got all the gadgets. I love it. Yeah, have I, ha brain. I have a real brain model now in my hand. <laughs> yep. And I lost a piece by grabbing it. Um, the thing is, the flexibility of our brain is so crucial to integrate what is unknown, what is strange for us, what is foreign. And I'm sharing now a snippet of my last trip to Germany, which makes me a bit vulnerable because it was really a challenge for me. I'm um, from the town Düsseldorf, which is uh, around 680,000 people. It's the capital of Nordrhein-Westphalia. And some people might know that Angela Merkel, our German chancellor, who is now, I think, re-elected for the fourth time, I think, she opened um, the borders of Germany and let in uh, at a time of, of hum humanity's despair uh, millions of people mm -hmm. of immigrants and obviously that brings a lot of challenges so Germany is uh, also a bit divided some people love it and are proud about it and a lot of people hate it so there am I a liberal loving person embracing the diversity and inclusion and I a few weeks ago was in my hometown taking a, a street tram trip from a neighboring city back to my hometown changing buses multiple times and being in public transport situation with foreigners and strangers around me for around 90 minutes and I experienced in my brain and in my body some stress symptoms because most of the time I heard so many languages around me from immigrants, from countries I've never heard before. I couldn't recognize them. When I grew up, we had a lot of um, aid workers, supportive workers from Italy, Spain, Greece. So I was used to all the classic European languages. I spoke in my 20s, five of them fluently myself. But wow, now, 51, I was exposed in these 90 minutes to languages I've never heard, to face 
structures, skin tones, where I couldn't point down, okay, where are they from? Mm. So I felt suddenly in this 90 minutes surrounded by not any longer my old Dusseldorf people or the foreigners I'm used to. So it, it was so interesting to sense how I got slight stress symptoms, how my brain, which I believe I train so consciously every day, was pushing myself out of my comfort zone, doing every day minimum one thing, which scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Believing I'm a liberal, loving, and compassing, compassionate, wonderful person. And here I am, stressed by all the foreigners and newness and strangeness in this 90 minutes ride in public transport. Mm. That gave me to think. And that for me was a proof, wow, the brain loves continuity. The brain loves to see every day what's used to see. So I can understand when people, as you said, are not traveling, are not exposed to anyone looking completely different like them, speaking completely different, living completely different for most of their lifetime, that their brain is just habitually going into the judgment. How I live is the only way of right, right living <laughs> and how you live is the wrong way of living. Whatever that you is, is it mm -hmm. a, you know, a different nationality, a different religion or a different sexual orientation? So I think that, going back to your question before about the future trends, rewiring our brain and becoming more flexible and the whole notion of that we have access to our subconscious mind, can change biases, all these kind of knowledge has to become mainstream mm. and not be just something elite, like I teach at my top executive clients for a lot of money. It has to become mainstream. For me, ideally, it would be put into the curricula of schools, mm. starting with elementary school, how to embrace newness and strangers and foreign things, how to soothe your own brain to stay out of stress. And these are things I'm teaching my future students in my women's empowerment school, because as more flexible we are getting back to us here rebellious rule breaking girls <laughs> as more flexible we are in our brain and as more control and power we have our over our own brains habitual reactions as more powerful and free and safe we are Absolutely, which is, is just so beautiful in the irony. You know, here there is this construct that we are told the reason why we have all the rules is to keep us safe. And yet, if we really start to peel back the various layers of that onion, it really comes down to controlling the behavior to meet a certain expectation. So really, it's, it is the almost exact, you know, counterculture to then intentionally expand that base, expand the comfort levels, and expand even the edge of discomfort in order to become more comfortable and have more control and power of our own emotions and our fight or flight or freeze and all of these different moving pieces. So I am loving this conversation, by the way, uh, because this like hits all, all the levels between the emotional and the spiritual <laughs> and the psychology. Like I just yes, I love yes, this. Yes, yes, and yes. the second thing that, that you'd mentioned that I wanted to call back to too is this idea of the non-binary uh, identifications. I definitely see that within even my own children 
And again, you know, I look at the difference from how I was raised to then how I am parenting them. And I've told them a thousand times that I'm choosing to parent them differently than the way in which I was raised. And I mentioned this before on the podcast. My mom gave me the most beautiful gift a few months ago, completely out of the blue, was not expecting it whatsoever. But she said, you know, I've been wanting to tell you for a long time. I just wanted to apologize for the way you were raised, and I want you to know that we did the best we could with what we had at the time. You could have knocked me over with a feather, um, and I'm crying, she's crying, and I hear my dad in the background. I'm an only child. You know, I grew up in the church. We were at church, you know, two, three, four, five times a week. You know, all of these things, and for her to be able to have the level of awareness and compassion in grace to even say that was just absolutely huge. So then now looking at me as the mom, and I feel like in so many ways I have reparented myself by way of choosing intentional parenting with my children. But as it relates to gender identification and the roles and all the rest of it, I, you're talking about vulnerability, so thank you for sharing that because now I'm going to do the same. I woke up this morning in a bit of a panic attack with the idea of recovering church girls because the full title is recovering church girls with a little asterisk and then the subheading is and enlightened guys. And I went, oh my goodness, am I continuing the patriarchy by having the guys be enlightened and the girls are recovering? And I, I really like, I sat there and I, I sent a text message to my best friends and I was like, talk me through this. Like, am I, you know, is this something I need to change? The name really resonates with me and here's why I've got this the way it is. And, you know, we, we laid it all out and it, there was a piece for me that it was like, you know what? No, first of all, I'm, I'm staying true to what this started as because I know where I was as this started, and I know I need to honor that. So that was the first piece of like coming back into my own intuition and not being afraid of the judgment that might come because either I've put the guys as enlightened and the girls as recovering, which I'll get to that in a second, but then secondly, I haven't addressed non-binary at all. And there was this piece of like, but I can't leave them out because there's so much, there was so much hurt and so much damage done to this entire community of people because they were in the church and trying to fit the mold that they didn't fit into. So I don't want to not acknowledge that. And then really what I came back down to again is that we are all in recovery and we are all at various levels of enlightenment. And they go hand in hand that we could interchange and exchange all of these labels because they are applicable for all of us. So I finally had to talk myself back down again. But yeah, I had I had a moment this morning where I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? I've got to totally rechange everything. I'm like, I've already got the URL. I've got the graphic, you know, like all the rest of it. And I'm spiraling in my own mind, afraid that I might be contributing to the narrative that I want so desperately to help bring attention to and to start dismantling. And I think part of that comes back to my guilt because I think about my own childhood and even in my teens and early 20s, I was so deeply immersed in the thought process and in the belief system that I am ashamed of things that I have said that mm -hmm. echoed that same storyline that I absolutely do not agree with now. And I don't know that I even agree with it then, but it was just the verbatim rote routine, you know, <laughs> basically just vomiting what I was already ingesting. And so I think that that was definitely a piece that I needed to really sit with, you know, and journal and work through this morning as well. So 
this is continuing in an ongoing process, that's for sure. <laughs> well, congratulations, you did it. I mean, that's, that's so cool. You did it. You, you pushed, again, the envelope, you, the rules, you wrote the rules, you stepped out of your comfort zone, and that we have then these uh, breakdown moments or days or hours. I went through the same process with my podcast in the last months and i think you and i we are rule breakers by even creating a podcast because mm -hmm. we are voicing our voice right i'm i talk in my podcast about the 10 patriarchal commandments for women and one is one commandment is be quiet mm. be beautiful to look at but not be heard because your truth might make feel make someone else feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. And that is where the whole guilt comes in. We are so indoctrinated to feel guilty that when we do something and it triggers someone else and someone else feels uncomfortable, un sorry, uncomfortable, mm -hmm. <laughs> stumbling about my, over my English here, um, that we are responsible for that. We are not responsible for the ripple effect our actions and our words have. Right. Other people are responsible for their trigger buttons, but we feel guilty. Hello, Da. This is one of the most clever, most brilliant strategies of the patriarchy and mm. the Catholic uh, Christian church. I saw it with my mother, my grandmother and myself when I was young. Guilt is such a weapon mm. of indoctrination and keeping people powerless and small. Mm -hmm, so let's, let's ditch the guilt. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I think there's another theme that I'm hearing here also is the idea of codependency and how much that was interwoven into the religious experience because I couldn't possibly be only responsible for myself. It was also up to me to protect, uh, let's say, protect a young man from his own lust by the way that I dressed. That was my responsibility to do that. Um, let's say that it was the people that were just walking on the boardwalk. It was my responsibility to go and, you know, basically ask them point blank in the middle of their Friday night stroll, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven? That was my job. My job was also then to, you know, go to the state fair and work in the Right for Life booth and have a, just aggressive conversations at the age of 12 to get people to sign the petition to make abortion illegal. So wow. I mean, like all of these things over and over and over again, I was responsible or I was told that I was responsible. I was made to feel responsible and specifically explicitly said that it was up to me to be that change and to be the catalyst for all of these other things to happen. I think if I had to pinpoint one specific change that's made the most difference in my kids' lives, it's exactly this. It's the idea that you are only responsible for you and how you behave and how you react to a situation. It's not up to you to fix me or to fix anyone else. You have your own life, your own journey, your own emotions, thoughts, all of it. And to honor that, because I don't think that was something that I ever experienced other than when I finally put all the pieces together and gave myself that permission. That, that one yeah. piece, I think, was probably the biggest change. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And powerful. Yeah. I think what most people just in our culture, we, what we mix up is the trigger and a cause and effect mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, if, and I make it now very simple and I apologize now consciously because I love to honor sources and don't remember from whom I got this metaphor. So whoever it was, thank you, it's genius. <laughs> Imagine we both uh, sit opposite each other at a table and I take a glass with water and I push that glass of water in your direction holding the glass, but the water will spill out and make you wet. So the fact that you are wet is a scientific fact for me. And this is a cause and effect. I throw water, you, Tonya, you get wet, mm -hmm. period. And I am responsible for making you wet. Mm -hmm. So now the question comes, how do you answer that? And there might be in different worlds, different Tonyas. Mm. The first one might become angry and takes her glass of water and <laughs> throws water back at me. <laughs> In the second world, the Tanya might look at me completely shocked, wipes off with a napkin the water, stands up to go into the bathroom and clean herself up without saying a word. And in the third world, the third Tanya might start laughing and giggling, saying, thank you, Sylvia. I was so hot. These hot flashes are so annoying. Thank you for that shower. And that is the trigger response. Mm. But people always treat our pushing their buttons as if we could control mm -hmm. if they react with anger, with laughter, joy, or with complete ignorance or whatever. I mean, their reaction, it's not a scientific, natural cause and effect chain. I mean, when I throw water at you, I can't prevent you from not getting wet. This is just science. Or when I, when I drop this pen now here on my desk, I can't prevent the pen from falling down. Mm -hmm. This is just gravity. That's cause and effect. But how my desk now reacts to it, <laughs> my desk feels offended or my pen feels, feels liberated, I have no control over. And that's the trigger. So I hope people who are listening uh, to us just take that distinction away the mm -hmm. trigger and the cause mm -hmm. we are all way more free than we think in our mm -hmm. everyday life that true? yeah and this is a, another paradox on one hand we are more responsible than we are mm -hmm. because our actions make bigger impact than we think it does and on the other hand we are less responsible we are less responsible for all these wrong things especially mm -hmm. the church or the patriarchal society indoctrinates us to think we are responsible of mm -hmm. So going back to uh, switching a bit topic to what you said at the start um, around the rules. Yes, I'm a rule breaker mm -hmm. and I also love rules. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, maybe it's my Germanlessness. I love rules. <laughs> I, I love to, f knowing the rules in any given situation makes me feel safe. Mm. And for me, there are rules which make total sense mm -hmm. and being a german bmw driver here in the united states for example <laughs> i love my german traffic rules and sadly most american drivers don't obey with them <laughs> <laughs> americans don't use the indicator as much as they should in my eyes it is so, so here funny we are. you say that my my son has been taking german um he uh let's see going into his fourth year 
And I have a, a very old BMW that that has quirks, let me just say. She's she's a special little car, and I do love her dearly. Uh, however, I just recently, so Christian, my son, has been taking uh, all of his driving hours. He's 16 now, turning 17 very soon, so he's about ready to go for his driver's test. We recently drove to New York City because we live in Philadelphia. It was an easy enough dress, drive to come up. The pure stress and frustration and just angst that was all over his face driving through New York City, he's like, but all of the rules that I've been learning and that I'm supposed to be following in order to get my license, no one is following any of the rules. <laughs> and I think at one point in time, there was even a fire truck, like not the full fire truck, but a truck from the fire department yeah. that went, you know, right through the intersection when they shouldn't have, or, you know, like all of these things. And he's like, really? The fire department? You know, just it put him over the edge of this idea of why aren't they following the rules? So it is so amusing to me to hear you say this idea of maybe it's just my German nature because I think that there's a part of him that definitely identifies with, with that culture as well. So that was just such a fun, fun little story there. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is just another paradox. I, I believe reality is deeply, deeply paradoxical. And in the patriarchal culture, they with their binary code of black and white they they deny that reality mm. so and rules in itself are not good or bad it's not binary right, they say there they are, are rules which are beautiful there are rules which keep us safe rules which make us feel safe and then there are a ton of stupid rules <laughs> unnecessary rules stifling rules horrible rules we have to break mm -hmm. yeah absolutely. it's not that simple not that black and white well, and I, I love that idea, that concept, just to simply, you know, if there's no other takeaway, which there have been a thousand in this conversation, but if there's no other takeaway to simply anchor onto the idea that there is no black or white, that things are more complex and there's multiple layers and there's multifacets to things, I think that even just coming to that realization and starting at that point, it then opens your eyes and opens your mind to a deeper conversation, which hopefully then would lead to a deeper understanding. Totally. Agree. Well, I was going to say, and I think that's about as much of a mic drop as we could we could possibly get here because clearly <laughs> we could keep talking about all of this. So, Sylvia, I am so grateful for your time and just bringing all of your wealth of knowledge and experience and research into conversation with us today. Thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, and for all of you who are listening, uh, our big request here is that if you have someone in your circle that you feel like this would resonate with, that you simply share. That's really all we're asking is share if this matters to you and share if you think it might matter to someone else and continue the uh, the good work that we're doing within Recovering Church Girls, which of course, as I say that, I'm like, ooh, that sounded an awful lot like an altar call. So I might have to readjust the wording on that a little bit just because I'm noticing my own nose is crinkling. <laughs> But I love it. Please keep it. And I would like to underline that because I, from my own podcast experience, I'm getting now thank you notes through Facebook from literally around the world. Mm. And we never know who we reach. Mm. 
we never know there is maybe somewhere in this world a woman or a man who suffers from something who is in despair who doesn't have the right person close by to talk about certain things and one podcast one concept one idea might shift something in their brain and it can shift maybe their whole thinking the whole situation so please i beg everyone listening to this go to itunes leave a five-star gorgeous review for tonya's podcast and if you like and are interested go also to my one women's empowerment school podcast and leave a high rating review because your more reviews and higher rankings we have is more uh, discoverability our podcast have mm -hmm. and we never know you might seriously i mean it not dramatically you might save a human's life or a human's day by exposing them to a podcast they wouldn't have found if you wouldn't have shared it or wouldn't have rated it or wouldn't have given a review so it's not about Tanya's or my ego and yes we love the numbers too but it's about supporting all of us to grow in our personal evolution and it's such a beautiful time of transition but it's also scary Oh my gosh, it's really scary. So many things are going on which are awful, which are painful, wars, betray, fake news. I mean, it's really hard to navigate the current news landscape and, and what's coming towards us. So I think we have to stick together and listening to the right podcast and getting inspired for the day to be a more loving and better person. It's just beautiful. So thank you, Tanya, for the gorgeous work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was uh, beautifully said and just so deeply uh, grateful for, for that. So thank you again. Join us and we'll continue on. Sylvia, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.